Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with a real deal talk. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Cassidy Freitas in the house. Welcome, Cassidy. Thank you so much for having me. This yes. is this is so fun. I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm podcasting a lot these days, yeah. but it's it's not usually like in this sort of scenario. I mean, yeah. you've got a really incredible space. Yeah, we here. ain't playing around here. <laughs> no, you're not. We're not playing games <laughs> this here. Is, this and is the real deal. This is the real deal. The real <laughs> deal, ladies and gentlemen. So Dr. Cassidy Freitas here um, is a licensed marriage and I keep forgetting. Family therapist. Family therapist. Yeah. I am fired up about this interview because we're going to break it down. Because this day and age, and I talk about this a lot with uh, parenting, right? Um, like what's going on these days? So we're going to dig deep into this, mm -hmm. folks. So stick around. This is going to be an extremely informational uh, podcast today. Not that it, it, it ever isn't, but, you know, just saying. Especially today. This is, especially <laughs> today. we got a doctor in the house. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and first and foremost, let me thank everybody for tuning in to Real Deal Talk here. I can't tell you enough how much it means to me and and all the feedback I get whenever I'm around town or at the church, people coming up to me, telling me how much it's uh, in, even certain interviews have impacted you. So I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Um, if you want to support the show financially, Real Deal Sleep is paying the bills around here. So come on down, uh, purchase a mattress, go to the website, realdealsleep.com. We've got pillows, sheets, uh, sleep system, zero gravity, which help if you or your significant other snoring we can help with that and I, by the way cassidy that's how we met that is how we met that's how we originally my, met. my whole family sleeps on real deal mattresses and that, pillows yes folks look at this and i just as i'm as i'm speaking i'm remembering oh yeah that's how we met yeah, no so well yeah so let me share some of the context so my husband met you first because he came in we needed a new mattress and he found you probably through Google, through word of mouth, and came in and he was like, babe, I found it. I found it. And he he brought home the fanciest mattress I have ever slept on. And here's the thing is that we were going to have another baby and it was, it was a game changer. And, yeah. and I'm sure we'll get into this, but sleep is one of the first things that I ask new parents wow. about because it is such a, you know, it's, I mean, we can can we cuss yeah. on here? Yeah, do whatever you want. Okay, I was like, because you yeah, know, okay, you do whatever you want. Mark, let it fly. Mark, Mark get explicit, but let like, it fly, sister. You know, it's when it comes to postpartum, sleep is gonna be shit. Like, it's yeah. you've got a newborn. It's a brand new human being who's like figuring out how to how to survive in this new world outside of the womb and sleep is going to be super shitty. But yeah. when you are not sleeping, when we're sleep deprived, when sleep is not going well, the impact that has on everything on our communication. So like everything's rougher around the edges, you know, middle of the night and you and your partner are trying to like figure out why the baby's crying and you're, you know, not it's not pretty right it's not pretty yeah to put and, it mildly yeah to put it mildly and then the impact that it has on anxiety the risk factor it puts into depression the impact it has on everything and so you know we were like we're gonna make we're gonna invest in good sleep yep. and you know it was a real good deal yes it was a real deal <laughs> ladies and real, gentlemen a real yeah good you deal. went all out you guys got we zero did. gravity massage oh feature it, and here's the thing that one of the features that i was like what like because you know it can you can like make the head go up and down the feet can go up and down when i was postpartum 
and I'm in those middle of the night feeds, being able to, it saved me. It mm-hmm. saved my back. Like, you know, I'm sitting there and like, okay, we're in here for a nursing session and you don't know how long it's going to last. And and when you're tired and you're just like, okay, I just need to like make this happen and get back to bed. And so a lot of times you're just like do, make do, making it happen right. and your back's killing you. Yeah. And then the impact that that has on everything oh, yeah. the next day, it was a game changer. Yeah. And all, all you do is press a button. All you do is press a button. Inclines the head, feed, bada bing, bada boom, bring the head back down. Yeah. Right. And there's also um, like a massage vibration yep. impact. And the impact that that has had on like at the end of the day when – my brain and Dave's brain and is like racing because that's just yeah. from an evolutionary perspective that actually makes sense, right? right? Our ancestors that survived were the ones that were up at night, like on high alert. So it makes sense that like you know we just haven't figured that out, <laughs> figured yeah. it out yet. Like that you know we're we're safer at night, but yeah, the brain's racing. There's something about that that's so grounding. Right. It's like okay, I am here. I am now. I am safe. Like it like gets me back into my body. It's great. It, it's how I fall asleep every single night is yeah. with my massage feature. Yeah, yeah. I can't fall asleep without it. Well, I don't know how I will ever again right. fall asleep without it. I go to a hotel and I'm like, wait. <laughs> yeah, this thing doesn't vibrate. What's going? What's the problem here? Yeah, yeah I'm, tell, I'm telling you, every literally every night I fall asleep to my massage. And by the way, we didn't plan this commercial no. that she just did for me. No. So thank you. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how we met. It's a real life yeah. testimonial. And so then- more context. So then we show up. My son Everson wants to do flag football. We show up at this practice, and um, and you're there. Yeah. And yeah. we just the universe brought our boys together to play football with each other. And that first year, I forget, was it the Bears? Jets. The Jets. No, but it wasn't the Jets the first year. No Steelers. It was Steelers. Oh, that's right, the Steelers. Yeah, yeah it was the Steelers. And then. And then that coach uh, went off and did different things. And then, yeah. And then, and then I, yeah, I took over the team. Yeah. And the boys were like, we want to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the, the parents were like, JD, will you take over? I'm like, no, I don't need the stress in my life right now. Are you crazy? <laughs> and of course I took over. <laughs> and now it's taken over your life. And now it's taken over my life. Yeah. And what's funny is it's like, and I told this to somebody at the game the other day, it's like the only hour of my life where I'm not like stressing about business and entrepreneurship and cash yeah, flow yeah, yeah. is the hour that I am on the field with mm-hmm. the boys. So it's yeah. actually the opposite, even though it is stressful calling plays because mm-hmm. the game kind of relies on how I'm calling the game because yeah, they yeah. don't, it's like that one hour where I forget about everything. Cause your brain gets so focused in on this thing that all the other tabs have to close. Right. So all the other tabs that have been like running and like making the like server, you know, slow down, they all close because exactly. you're, they are present with the boys. And I, I will say this, I feel like it's been really cool to watch your growth mm. as a coach and yeah. as a human being like over the years. I see you out there. I see you out there, JD, in those moments when you would have maybe previously like <laughs> thrown your hat on the floor on the on the field <laughs> right. or something. I see you. I see you take a breath. Yeah. I see you take the pause. I see you like shift gears and like talk to the boys about you know you know keeping their spirits up yeah. and yeah. like it's yeah. a game. We're here to help you know and it's and and life lessons along the oh way. Oh my gosh, life lessons and I'm and I'm working on myself. I'm glad that you're noticing. Because- I notice. You know, I would a little bit, you know, as each season has gone on, I'll react less. 
openly mm -hmm. because if I react too badly, mm -hmm. it affects them. Even though I coach them up immediately after yeah. I'll react, I'll say, okay, cool. This is a learning moment. Next time, just go this way or do this. Yeah. But if I, if the reaction's too much, it, you know, I need to watch that. Yeah. So I've been watching. <laughs> yes, no, and I, I see it. And at the end of the day, that's what matters most to me. It's yeah. not it's not about being perfect. Right. It's not like and who and, and we'll get into this yes. this is part of my yeah. my backstory, right? Is my relationship with perfectionism. And it's like it's progress and it's growth and it's like a willingness to be like, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I can't wait to dig into this. All right. So speaking of which, let's <laughs> yeah. dig in to okay. your backstory a little bit. Yeah. So before Dr. Cassidy was a doctor, mm -hmm. when uh, let's go back to where, where were you born and raised? What's yeah. your childhood like? Yeah. So San Diego, born and raised. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up in Chula Vista and Benita. So I was born in Chula Vista and then, you know, more grew up in Benita area. And yeah, so my parents, my dad, he is from the Midwest. And he grew up really poor. His dad was a butcher and mom was home. And, you know, he had all brothers and it was, it was in an, you know, it was beautiful in the sense of family. And from how he describes it, it was also really intense. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of stress around money. The way that he, you know, pulled himself out of that and found safety and security was through education. And, but but it was it, but it was a pretty pressured situation, right? Like him and his brothers were really competitive. Like that's how we, they pushed each other. Yeah. Was like how they, you know, fought and how they competed and who was going to be the best. <laughs> and typical, yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know, also you know, um, his so much love, but there was a lot of intensity. And yeah, the way he, you know, pulled himself out and like found his security was through education. And so um, he's uh, he was he's retired now. He was a public defender. He went to law school, and he was a public defender and um, defended kids who committed crimes. Wow! Um, and it was and and yeah, and just but always a really really intense guy. Like you know the furrowed eyebrows, just like really hyper focused, and um, loved his job. Like I mean, I, going to like his retirement party and hearing other people share stories about the work that he did, like he made a huge impact in kids' lives. Wow. You know? And so my mom, she's um, Hispanic and um, also they met, they met um, on opposite sides of the courtroom. So also a public defender. Oh, really? And she defended, she ended up being, um, and now she's a judge, right? So now she's got like all this power um, in, in also- so he was in delinquency court, so kids who committed crimes, and she was in defending them and supporting them and, you know, helping get get them back on the right track. And my mom is dependency court, so kids who were abused. Mm. And she defended the kids. And and now she's a judge who makes huge decisions about, you know, these kids' lives too. Wow. And so, you know, for her though, as a Hispanic woman, you know, uh, you know, going to college choosing to go to law school, showing up in spaces that were primarily white men. Yep. She had to be perfect. Mm. So she so there was no room for mistakes, right? It's right. like if I'm going to get and, and she did it, right? Like she's got all this power now, but to get to that place, there was a lot of, you know, kind of like shape-shifting, having to like, you know, be perfect, fit in, to have a voice, right? Yeah. Like and so 
they they met um, in court, like I think on opposite sides. And my dad always says like, you know, he she wasn't in dependency court at the time. Um, so he walked out and she she had her finger up to this like, you know, big guy who was like, you know, there for some crime he committed. And she was like, she had her, she was wagging her finger in his in his face and he was just like nodding his head. And and my mom always says she remembers he walked, my dad walked by and he kind of had the like hippie long hair. And she was just like, you know, they both just like noticed each other. And, um, you know, at the time my dad, um, he had been married previously. He was divorced. Um, and my mom, you know, she's, uh, you know, my, 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 that side of the family Catholic and they got together and it was, you know, it was, it was tough there at first. Yeah. My, my grandma was just like, you know, who is this, who is this white divorced guy? <laughs> and he was 10 years older than her too. So there's like oh, this wow. big age gap, but they, um, but yeah, they, they fell in love and, my dad um, had always wanted to be a dad. And, and in his first marriage, they had tried and um, they weren't able to have any right. children. And, you know, you know it, it ended up being okay because they the, the marriage ended up not working out. Um, but he was really excited to become a dad. Wow. And, um, there's... Um, there's some funny stories in, in the in the family, some family secrets that, you know, um, around uh -huh. like, cause my mom, when they got married and you know, what's funny is my husband, David, he's the one that did the math for me. They got married in February and I was born in August. And he was like, hmm. he was like, babe, so she was, she was pregnant. <laughs> and I was for like, I was like, what? I was like, no. And I was like, wait, he's like, do the math. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I come to my mom and I'm like, I'm like in high school, you know, because Dave and I met in high school. And I'm like, mom. And she was like, yeah, we, we, we had to push the date up a little bit. And my dad was like, I planned that all. He was like, he's like, I knew she was the one. He wanted to be a father. And he, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, but didn't how? Uh, and he's like, I kept a calendar of when she was ovulating. <laughs> like, he did? Yeah. Oh my and my mom, and he said that he told my mom, like, you know, we'll get pregnant. And she said, mm hmm. And then that what happened oh my gosh and so it, it wasn't until high school that you realized <laughs> yeah i mean you know i didn't do the math i mean i think i didn't i don't think i knew the year they got married you know so i think yeah. i just like and know. so you and dave met in high school we met in high school no way. but let me back up let me, i'll get there yeah, i'm not let gonna me, get ahead i'm yeah, not gonna get let me ahead back up because so they have me i'm their first um and so you've got these two these two folks who in their own upbringing childhood and like you know adult experiences there was a lot of a lot of pressure you know to for education to be perfect yeah. to get good grades to um you know i think also um you know for my mom there was a lot of like hold in your feelings right you have to just mm. kind of be like all put together all the yeah. time like can't show any weakness can't show any weakness and for my dad too and you know I think that that what that translated into was, you know, a a, a kind of pressure cooker situation yeah. where me as a little as a little one kind of absorbed and observed that in order to belong here, which is what all kids do, right? right. Like you yeah. come into this world, you're so vulnerable. You're looking around and you're like, attachment is the most important thing for my survival. Yeah, is to keep these people that are here to take care of that like provide literally everything for me food shelter safety is to figure out how do i keep them close like that's that's attachment yeah yeah you know and and unfortunately in some situations right which both my parents saw every day right like that's 
you know, right. there's abuse and that's really, that's really, really scary and really awful and yeah. really confusing and really traumatic for, for children. Right. You know, and, and, and then I think there's scenarios like, like mine, like two, two really like really wonderful parents who had really all the best intentions and were out there actually like saving children, you know? Yeah, exactly. But because of their own childhood experiences and trauma and, and at the time, you know, therapy wasn't like, there was a lot of stigma around it. You don't, you don't go and like no. ask someone else to get help, you know, right, like right. to kind of process some of those experiences. Once you become a parent and you realize like, oh, wow, this is like triggering a lot of stuff for me, you know, but, but it did. And it was, it was, you know, so me as a little kid, just like we all do as little kids, I'm looking to the caretakers and I'm like, what do I need to do to belong in this, in this system, right? To stay attached and close to you. And what I figured, what I learned was that I needed to be a good girl, you know, right, yeah. um, be a good girl, behave, um, keep, you know, keep my feelings kind of in check. Um, and I needed to, I really needed to like perform mm. um, when it came to school. And, and, you know, and I was, it, it, it initially came easy, you know, I, yeah. I was able to based off of our like American academic system. Like I was able to perform based off of what that <laughs> the system right. was requiring of me, you know, for a period of time. And um and then and, and and what I also experienced was I would I would perform and I got a lot of positive reinforcement from that. It right. was like a lot of pride. And my dad, and he's still this way, like he's so proud of me, right? And so he tells everybody everything that i do that has been an accomplishment and and that's beautiful some kids don't get any of right. that kind of encouragement right. and support totally. right and and i and 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 yet the message that i got from that was like you got to keep this up to like can to give him something to be proud about you know and mm. it was not it was not it was not sustainable or realistic because perfect isn't possible yeah, it doesn't exist it doesn't exist and and then but but what it also though created was a situation where it wasn't because of what i what what internally was motivating me it was this like i needed to do this to please those around me right, right? to to make other people happy and and you know and for my mom you know in in her in her in her context she needed to be perfect um and and how that translated into home, though, is there was never any apologizing. Like, mm. you know, like if she, if she, as, as I, I apologize to my kids every day because I'm an imperfect human and I lose my shit and I like get impatient or I just say something that I'm like, that, that's not how I meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, like, and like, and like literally now, like they will expect it. The other day, like I, I yelled at Everson, you know, he like wanted a popsicle and I was like, dude, no, like, and he's lost his mind. And I was like, it gets harder than this, you know? And <laughs> I just saw his like little face drop and he walked, but you know, before he walked away, he looked at me, he was like, you're going to be saying the S word to me soon. And I'm I, like, you know, I'm like, what? And he's like, you're going to be saying sorry. And like, he walks away. And the thing is, is like, I did come back and apologize. I was like, you still don't get a popsicle. And like, yet telling you that it gets harder than this, that's, that's actually the part of me that is afraid if you if you let your emotions, if you feel your things and you let it out, that the world is going to crush you and hurt you. Mm. And like, and the, and yeah, some in some situations, like the world isn't going to create space for that. But that doesn't mean that 
with me in our home that you can't feel safe enough to let out your feelings and like name your feelings and learn how to regulate your feelings yeah. so that when you're out in the world and other relationships, like you like know how to hand, how to handle those things, yes. right? Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, there was never any apologizing and and I think that and, like, for apologizing, you mean like if they were hard on you or disciplining you or made, made a mistake, yeah. you know, yeah. like just made a mistake as humans do. Right. Like, you know, like lost their cool in, in, in a way that was scary or overwhelming. Right. And that like wasn't called for, but like they got triggered and they got reactive and like I, which I do every day, like as a human being and just to come back and to be like, Hey, like, you know, what? I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's not. That's not how I wanted to show up for you in that moment, right? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think that like I put my I definitely like put that my mom on a pedestal too. And and she she worked so hard and I never saw her rest. I never saw her slow down, mm. it felt like. And I think that, you know, and that's because she didn't feel like she could. When you look at the context, it makes a lot of sense. Like right. to survive in the environments that she which was trying to show up in and like gain some power within, right? For to to for for really incredible change, she there was no space for slowing down mm. and rest. And and so I adopted that. You know, it was just and my parents messaged to me and like it I, th I think it's a really I really understand where they were coming from now. And it's a beautiful message. Like their message was work hard and do your best. But how I translated that as a child who was trying to make sense of the world around me and what I was observing was it was like work hard and never stop and be the best and be the best yeah and that is not like sustainable for any human being right and so once I got into high school and college and school and do you started, have brothers and sisters I have two younger brothers two young, yeah. okay yeah so I was the oldest and once I got into high school and college and like things started to get harder, like school started to get harder for me, right? And like all of a sudden also like I wanted to have a social life and it it was – it got to the point where my like my anxiety was so bad. My performance anxiety was so bad. You know, in college, I went to the doctor and I was like, I'm not sleeping. Like I'm having, you know – panic attacks over like a minuses mm. like you know and i was <laughs> i was like some you know and the doctor at the time was like oh here's a prescription for xanax yeah, of course and wow. i was like okay i guess this is what i do and what i take and you know and and, xanax, and this was in college this was in college yeah and so you know i was i was pre-med um at the time so my parents like the, you know and again i think the kind of thought that I had that they were always like, you're gonna make a great lawyer. You know, you're gonna make a great lawyer. You're gonna make a great lawyer. And I was like, ah, like I don't think I wanna go to I don't think I want to be a lawyer. But what else what else would, would be acceptable? And it, it was, I think, to be a doctor. It's like yeah. be a doctor, be a lawyer. So I was like, okay. You know, I had I had volunteered at a couple of different um, you know, Polinsky Children's Center, um, which is here in San Diego. It's a shelter for kids who are abused and my mom was connected. And so I I worked there for a bit and you know, I I I was pre med, but then I was doing this volunteer work, and what I really, what I what I saw was some of the social workers that were working with these kids and the impact that they were having, and how how ill equipped I felt in supporting these kids who were just going through the most unimaginable traumatic scenarios. Mm. 
And I was like, you know, so I was pre-med and I, <laughs> and that, but I, and so I was doing that work. And at the same time, I was also doing some like pre-med, you know, internships. And I remember being like, I was inside the room for a cesarean of like triplets, you know, like it was like part of this internship. You got to be witness to these like yeah. procedures. And I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> and then, but then afterwards, I got to go in and talk to the parents. So I'm like, and I loved that. Just mm. like getting a chance to talk about that experience for them and like hear kind of the emotions that they were going through in that moment. And so, you know, I, I had this like collection of experiences of seeing social workers and, you know, getting to talk to parents postpartum. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the medicine route is the way I want to go here. I think that I'm really interested now more so in like psychology yeah. and family work. And so I shifted gears at that point in time um, and switched over to psychology as my major. And I think that also there was something really empowering for me in that moment to be like, I think I'm going to go a different route than what you guys kind of expected from me, yeah. you know, my, yeah. what my family expected from me. And, and because like, you know, my, and my parents were so connected here in San Diego in the legal world, right? I had to all of a sudden like make my own connections. And there was this kind of differentiation that happened in that space. How did where, they feel when you, when you reverted to therapist? You know, they were supportive. Mm. Like the thing about my parents is like all of their stuff is like it, it, how it showed up in these kind of micro moments as parents was like, yeah, intense. And they felt pressure to go a certain path and to have perfect grades and to be a good girl that like, you know, didn't make any mistakes and didn't like, you know, ruffle any feathers. But, but at the same time, like at the same time, like they, they were so supportive and like they, they're the love and the love was, was, was so strong and the safety that was like in that love, you know, was so strong that, you know, I did feel like I had, I had enough courage to say, Hey, I'm going to do something different. And, you know, I think at that point in time too, like I had moved out and there was just like, yeah, I go through that like reckoning of like, who am I yeah. outside of my family? Um, now I will say that the perfectionism, the like need for <laughs> being good and like, and, and also being like still kind of externally motivated yeah. is still there. Of course. I did like, thank goodness they were supportive because I think that if they weren't, I, I don't, that would have been really, really, really hard. hard. Yeah. So, um, and I should mention Dave and all of this. Yeah. So him and I. Oh yeah, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, that guy. That the, that. the arm candy. <laughs> yeah, he's totally my arm candy. <laughs> um, so he, um, we met in high school. Yeah. So wow. I was a freshman. What high school did you go to? I went to uni, which is now okay. a cathedral. Yeah. So we're both born and raised here. And, um, I was a freshman and, you know, I, I was, I was smart, you know? And so I was in some of these advanced classes and, and, and he was not in, in advanced classes yeah. <laughs> so, because I was in advanced classes. Like I, and he was a year older than me. We were in some of the similar classes with each other. And, um, we first, we first took chemistry together and we had chemistry huh. and, um, yeah. So we started dating when we were like 16. Wow. So super young. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, he went off to college um, and he went to Arizona and I was still in high school. And so we did distance for the year. And then it's funny because then he came back because he was like, that was really hard and we wanted to like be closer. And I was like, 
I think I need, though, to go have my own experience. So then I went to college up in L.A. while he was here at USD. And so we did distance yeah. while I was in college. And it was good, though, right? Because, like, I joined a sorority. Like, I, like, you know, I did I, – I made new friends. Like, I did my own thing up there. You know, this is the point of time when I'm, like, you know – you know, pre-med and then figuring out, I don't want to do that. And just having, I think having that space was, yeah. was good for both of us. Um, was it hard at all? Like, was he, was he jealous at all? Like, what are you doing this sorority? Is there part of their party? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's got, he could, he, he would get jealous at times and I would get jealous at times, you know, and we'd break up and, you know, get back together a week later and, you know, we, but we, we made it work, you know, um, I I knew from the beginning he was just he was so much more mature than all the other guys. Like I'd look around and there was just no one that compared huh. to like his because wow. okay, so him, he went to USD. Um he started he worked at Caldera Spas and he um paid his way through I mean, you know, his parents could have um definitely paid for his college, but he was like, no, he's just so really really strives for that like independence and like not wanting to ask anyone for help and like that's his own thing right yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you could have him on the podcast and he there's there's context around all that right yeah. like he didn't want to ask for any financial help and so wanted to pave his own way and so you know he was working at caldera spas and you know selling jacuzzis and paid his way through usd which is like not super not yeah. a, not a cheap tuition no. and just he just worked like he didn't party he didn't like he didn't do I mean, and, and sometimes we look back and I'm like, I think he he definitely grew up too fast, right? Yeah. When I look at his own family system, and like he should like he should have been able to you know step back and like be a kid more, you know? Right. Yeah. But so I noticed like he grew up so fast in ways he shouldn't have. But like as a 16 year old, I was like, wow, this guy's really mature, and like ha is like is like has his has his job and like paying his way through college and just yeah. And a really good head on his shoulders. And also, he probably shouldn't have had to have grown up as fast as he did. Right. You know? um, but he, um, yeah. And then, so he paid his way through that. He then went um, and interned for a property manager. And then eventually, um, when that person was going to retire, he bought that business from him. And now he owns his own business. Yeah, he's been doing it ever since, right? Yeah, doing it yeah. ever since. Yeah. And so- <clears throat> We, um, so after I graduated college, um, you know, at this time, like, you know, I think I eventually stopped taking Xanax because I was like, this, Oh, yeah, go, go, go back to that real quick. This is addicting. <laughs> so when you started yes. taking it, was yeah. that the only thing that they prescribed to you? Did they give yeah. you other stuff? No, nope, it was just Xanax. And you're like, Okay, cool. Did you tell your parents? Yeah, told my parents. My mom was like, Oh, yeah, I've been on that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and you know, I think that we have to put it in context for the time, right? It's like, and and also, you know, just what the doctor knew and what doctors were doing at the time. Like Xanax was being prescribed. It's, yeah, like like left nothing. And right, like nothing. And you were at nineteen twenty? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it like it definitely chilled me out, right? But like but it was it was this cycle of like I was, you know, killing myself during the day with school, stressing, 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 stressing not learning and I was taking psychology classes right but like you know it's, it's just like the psych 101 classes I'm not like learning yet how to right. what, what to do with my feelings and how to process my own context and trauma and in family the, the historical family trauma and yeah. the generational legacies like I'm not doing any of that work I'm just learning about these things so it's like this vicious cycle of stress 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 produce 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 oh my gosh my nervous system is a wreck take a Xanax, 
now now I'm going to get some sleep. You and know, how often would you, you take one every night? Would you take yeah, one? Yeah, it was like every night. Every for, night. For for months, you know, and, but then it got, but then it's, it, it's, it is addicting and it got to, and here's the thing is like yeah. medication, I think can really support getting people's head above water. Um, this medication for me and what I really needed was not the right fit. Right. Right. Because then it was addicting. It was starting to not work anymore because my body was getting used to it. Right. And it's like, you know, do I take a higher dose? Like, and, and I'm not, and it's a cycle. Like there's nothing, there's nothing in there where I'm, I'm I'm able to kind of step in and say like, oh my gosh, what's actually happening me happening for me yeah. here like emotionally and like underneath all of this? It was just a cycle, and so, and it was actually Dave who was like, I don't think this is helping. I don't think this is working. Like, you know, the last time I was here, you were taking this dose, and now you need more to sleep, just to sleep. Yeah. You know, like, and you're like, in the yeah. young twenties or. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, the doctor prescribed it and I'm uh, like, you, this is- You have no idea how many people have been on the podcast that yeah. this exact mm -hmm. story of yeah. like in 19, 20, 21 yeah. that are yeah. then on it for 20 yeah. more or more years. And here's the thing is like, I was like, I was a very responsible like 19, 20, 21, 22 year old. Like, you know, when when friend, when we were going out, like I would be the designated driver, right? Like. Like substances were not something that I was like, you know, spending a lot of time right. <laughs> playing around with. Yeah. Um, you know, gotta get those good grades and gotta gotta produce and perform. But this this one, it was so um it was so not the right fit. Hmm. <laughs> um and, and so Dave called called me out on it, you know, and I was like, Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um and so I stopped and then that then my sleep was a mess again, which was so hard. You know, and, um, you know, but eventually, um, I think eventually. Did you go to the doctor and say, hey, do you have anything else that's better? Or? Yeah, I went to the doctor. I think they just, they gave me some like sleep hygiene, like, you know, like here's a way, some ways to like get better sleep. Yeah. Like, without. Like, what about, did he give you sleeping pills? No, no sleeping pills. That's, like, I'm that. surprised. Yeah. Thank goodness. I mean, I think at that point I came in and said for myself, I was like, I, I think I, I don't think that it's actually like a sleep rhythm thing that need it th it's it's actually something that like has to do with my anxiety right. and like my stress yeah. and um because I don't think that that would have been a good fit for me at the time either like I and so I had to kind of sit in the discomfort of <laughs> the pain instead yeah. of taking something that was just like you know numbing me and yeah. and making me you know fall asleep immediately and so yeah, so I um, I graduated. How'd you get through that? Like, because most people I mean, they can't just, do it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that having the support from Dave, I think like I got a dog. Actually, that's that's a good piece of kind of name in here. I got a dog that like yeah. really. There was something about <clears throat> getting a dog that like was like, whoa. There's like more to life than just yeah getting good striving and, and striving and performing grinding. And he like he like needed me. You know, like, and so I'd come home and there was just something so, and I think that like children mm. have this way of like, I definitely know for me having kids brought yeah. up a lot, but it was like this, all of a sudden there's like more to life, <laughs> you know, right. like yeah. there was like more meaning to life. Um, and I'd sleep with him. It was kind of like a therapy dog, yeah. you know, like I, yeah. I slept with him in bed and like, I remember Dave, <laughs> Dave grew up in a house where like dogs don't come to the bed. I remember the first time he was, I like brought the dog in, but he's like, what is that animal doing in the bed? And, and I was like, he helps. And he's like, okay, like <laughs> whatever. Like, and it's, what's funny now is that dog, he just passed away this past summer. Aww. He became Dave's like 
soulmate. Oh, like, yeah. if he wasn't in bed with us, Dave was like going to find him and bringing him in bed, right? Like, they became soulmates. <laughs> but at the time, he was like, what is this animal doing in bed? Yeah. I'm like, it's helping, you know? And, wow. and and I really do think that that, that was a big piece of it. Mm. But I was still struggling. Like, I was still – like, I graduated summa cum laude, like, top of my class. Like, I um, – you know, and – and then I went, I I decided to go and get my master's. But, you know, I think what also kind of supported me at that time, um, you know, was, you know, the separation from my family and beginning to like through the classes I was taking. It was like, and especially once I, once I got into the, you know, graduate program in those classes, it was like this deep dive into my own personal work, yeah. right? Like yeah. now now I'm actually learning how to become a therapist. And so there was this, this, yeah, every single class is like asking us to also reflect on these things for mm. ourselves and started to look at, you know, kind of the generational legacy of pressure and performance and anxiety um, with between both of my families. And, and then just kind of being able to have a lot of compassion for myself mm. and my parents. Yeah through that context because I think context always leads to compassion. Like, can you imagine if our world was able to, and if, if humans across the world were able to pause and had access to context and were curious enough to want to know about others' context, like just how much yeah. more um, compassion and thus peace mm. and thus ugh, it, it, it's it, like, it would um, be a <laughs> life life-changing oh it i mean it's and it's why i it's the <clears throat> why i designed this or launched this podcast because i'm digging into people's backstories so other people can listen yeah. to these backstories yeah oh i'm not the only one who had yeah. this or the rough going or or like to even just be like wow i really disagree with this person and then to hear someone's context it's just like you might you probably still will disagree and maybe then though we can actually start having conversations right or like it's just i just think there's a huge bridge that comes when we get curious um and self-awareness is yeah literally everything yeah. self-awareness is everything yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting so you're basically your own client oh my gosh yeah. to start because you can't help anybody yeah, no. Unless you're digging into your own and figuring yourself yes. out, right? Yeah. And so in, in the program, it's really encouraged. And actually, to get licensed, it's really encouraged to do your own therapy. So you have to get a certain number of hours, like thousands of hours before you can get licensed of like clinical work and training. But you get like double, it gets like double counted, or at least it did when I was getting licensed. If you are seeing your own therapist, if you do your own therapy, you can count those hours and they wow. count as like double or triple. So no like they kidding. were like really encouraging us to do our own work. That's great. Um, and thank goodness, right? And so, and so I did. Um, I started therapy and it was like just life changing, <sighs> wow. right? Like just to, to really take time. Like I spent so much time, the way it's been described to me, and this really resonates, I spent so much time walking around like a balloon, you know, it's like pinched at my neck where like everything was just operating in my brain, right? It was just all about like, it was, it was, it was ruminating, stressing, like, you know, just how can I get this right? How can I perform? How can I be perfect at this? Because that's what's going to keep me safe and, and belong and, and, and what do others need for me? And then therapy was like unpinching the balloon and just all of a sudden like actually dropping into my body, which I had spent so much time not in, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is um, – and so dropping into my body and like beginning to also like through that recognize like 
all the other parts of myself. So the people pleaser part of me, the perfectionist part of me, the part of me that, you know, had big feelings like anger, right? And like, and, but didn't feel like those things were okay to mm. express, you know, and, or didn't know what to do with them when they did show up. Um, really just, you know, core human emotions that we all have, right? But that I had kind of learned to protect others from seeing that I had and, you know, protect myself from experiencing and um, with the armor, which was perfectionism. Like perfectionism yeah. is anxiety. Right. It's just anxiety like with the perfect outfit and like fancy shoes and like all of the accolades, right? That's like, here's my armor. Cause what I, if I, maybe if I'm mm. perfect, then you won't see the underneath. Yeah. I'm actually scared. I'm actually overwhelmed. I actually don't know if I know everything. I actually make mistakes, right? And like all that vulnerability felt too risky to let others see. Hmm. And then I became a parent. <laughs> right? So like I went to therapy and like I did a lot of work there and like that was, you know, that was really important work, but it wasn't. So, okay. So Dave and I, um, you know, after college, we like took a year, um, we lived, we moved in with each other. He proposed, we got married. I was, I'd always wanted to be a mom. Um, and Dave just says, he was like, I was just on your train. He's like, I didn't even know that that's what we, that's the direction we were headed. But he was like, I love this girl. And so like what, you know, and so, and that, and that, that created actually his own, his own issues and our own issues. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, um, really wanted to be a mom. I, um, it took a little while. Um, we did have some fertility challenges in the beginning and that was like, you know, that was really, really rough. But then I got pregnant and how, what, how, how many years did it take years? No, it just took, it just took a few months, but like, oh, that's it. Yeah. But like it, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't having a period. I wasn't ovulating. Uh, hmm. And so like, I wasn't sure cause I, I've been on birth control. I got off birth control gotcha. and, 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 you know, it was just, it was, um, we weren't sure what was, what was going on with my body. And, and, and again, yeah, not super long, but for somebody who's like, I know how to make things happen. If I study hard enough, if I work hard enough, then I get the thing that I want, right? right. Like I, yeah. I accomplish. Yeah. And so fertility brought that up, like definitely triggered that for me. Wow. So I was like, wait, like this is something I can't seem to control. And like, this is something that I want. And like, no, oh, how do I control this scenario? And then pregnancy was the same thing. And birth, right? It was, I, I, brought because it because what it did is it triggered all that stuff so like i was underneath i was afraid because i had never done this before i had never been pregnant before i had never given birth before i had never been a parent before and how i had typically coped when things inside felt scary or overwhelming or uncertain was i had armored up right mm. with like perf with, with performance with yep. per yeah. perfectionism with Right. Like just working really, really hard, work hard, do your best. Right. right? Yeah. Work hard, never stop and be the best, you yeah. know. And so I I translated that into um, pregnancy, birth and postpartum because I was like with with my armor. Right. I'm going to have the perfect birth plan. Right. Like I am going and, and what that translated to was like a really rigid birth plan. Like mm. this is how birth is going to go. Wow. Right. Um, and I actually, I hired a doula that like aligned with that, right? It's like no C-section, 
no medication, right? I'm going to give, I'm going to be the, this is my first job as a parent and I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to give my daughter the quote unquote best. Um, and that's what I thought was going to be the best, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I have very different views now, but that's what I went in with, with, with that armor. And, you know, it was like, I'm going to have the perfect registry list. We're going to have all the, we're going to spend way too much money on all these perfect products that are going to make, it was just all the armor, right? It was the, it was spending money. It was really rigid plans. It was like, like, even as I'm talking about, I can feel my body just like tightening and clenching, you know, and like. And I've heard this before. Yeah. And like, that is not. That, so that is not the energy that I want to bring into a birth, right? But like, that's what I did. And then, and then. And that just came from the perfectionism of just yeah, the, the armor. The armor. The armor that I think that, we, that you know, we all carry. And, and the thing is, is like, the armor isn't the enemy here, like, right? Like, there are, there, are, there are certain ways in which that now I've learned, like that perfectionist part of me, right? Like, is, is actually also the part of me that, um, it because it is anxiety, right? right? It's that part of me that's like, there's this thing coming up that's really important to you, and like, it's the part of me that's like, oh, I'm gonna wake up at this time so I'm so that I'm here to record this podcast on time, right? It's yep. the part of me that like helps me prepare before an interview or like study for a test, right? But sometimes it surpasses its level of helpfulness, right? right. It's not it's not the enemy; it's just a part of me. Yeah. Um, but it was a part of me that had been in the driver's seat for a really really long time, and so. So on the first birth, what, what, how how did that, how did (laughs) everything change? Well, well, shit hit the fan, um, in the sense that like it, she was not, I I pushed for like two and a half hours. She was not coming out that way. I had gotten an epidural and like that, that already felt like, you know, one, one check against me, like one failure already. Um, you know, cause I just, I had been in labor for so long. Right, yeah. Um, you know, then I was pushing for two and a half hours. She wasn't coming out that way. I was exhausted. Like I had not slept for like over 24 hours and the doctor was like, we can do forceps, we can do right. Or we can do a C-section. And I remember, you know, the, the doula that we, and again, this isn't the, I love doulas, but like I hired a doula that aligned with like my views of like no C-section. And she was like, you know, I, I've never had a C-section, like all my births always, you know, right. lead into a vaginal birth. And, and so her face and this, this ended up being the part that was like the most traumatic for me, um, was when I said, okay, fine. Like, let's just like, I was, I couldn't even open my eyes. I'm yeah. like, just take her out. Um, I, you know, looked over at the doula and like the shame I felt just from like her facial expression that like, you know, I had ruined her like perfect, like (laughs) perfect streak of never having a C-section. It was her. And then she left. She didn't stay. Right. And so like, it was like, it was because that comes back to like, think about the child. Did she leave because she was disgusted or didn't she she feel to stick around? I I don't know. She, 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 I think she just felt like she didn't know what, she'd never been into a C-section. So like, she didn't know what to do. So she left, right? Like, but like that moment, what I ended up being able to connect with later on when I went to therapy um, and did some, because it was, it ended up being a very traumatic birth for me, right? Like I couldn't open my eyes. When they took Riley out, Dave was like, she's here. And I turned my face away from her. Just, I felt so much shame. I was so exhausted. I turned my face away from her. And that moment, that moment of turning away from her and not being able to open my eyes and like hearing Dave's 
voice, which sounded really scared, like, Cassidy, open your eyes. Are you like she's here? And I couldn't even look at her. And and the doula's face, those two memories were like seared in my brain and like very traumatic for me. And when I did therapy later on, what I was able to connect to is like in that moment, like when I was when when you're little, that's the biggest fear you have is to see that your parent is like disowning you or mm-hmm. like disappointed in you and turns away from you because when you're a child all you need is their support for survival right i'd hired this person to help me survive this thing i was actually really scared about to support me and she looked ashamed and she turned away and and then when my child for our, my first moment in meeting her came out i turned away <sighs> and so those two experiences from that birth were um very tra- traumatizing for me. Like it, it, it became the like you know, the postpartum. Like that was the first that th- those were huge risk factors, yeah. right? So I ended up experiencing, you know, really intense postpartum anxiety. I could not sleep. Speaking of sleep, I was I would stay like when she'd wake up, I was up. When she was asleep, I was watching her. Like it was like I could not sleep. Wow. I was having, you know, distressing thoughts of bad things happening to her like really you know and this is this is this is postpartum anxiety yes. and, and and the thing about anxiety postpartum is that actually all parents are more at risk for it right like again back to our ancestors our ancestors who survived were the ones who were on high alert when they had a very like vulnerable newborn and so post the postpartum brain they've done research actually looks more like somebody's brain who has maybe diagnosed OCD because we're just on more high alert. It's how we keep right. our young alive, right? Yeah. Um, but and so everybody, everybody can have some increased anxiety or like you know distressing, intrusive thoughts that pop up, and 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 actually still be able to function. Um, but for me, it was impacting functioning. And then Dave, Dave, who like didn't even like he he didn't even really consent to becoming a parent right i was like this is like this is happening like, i want to be a mom like i i just really took charge and all of that and he was just like along for the ride and like did not you know it did not feel connected during the pregnancy you know it was happening in my body i think a lot of my like need for control took him away from his opportunity to be able to like connect to being a dad and being yeah. a parent my anxiety made the the control that came with anxiety like really pushed him out too and he also has like a you know a predisposition to depression right. he had experienced depression before and so now you know there was not a ton of research at the time around postpartum depression in dads but it is a thing it and is. it makes so much sense when you think about it they're also like going through a huge identity shift. They're also potentially not sleeping, right? Like their marriage has changed. Like they're they're like that they're they're feeling yeah. the pressure to um provide, right? Like there was so much he, he felt a lot of pressure. He felt like he wasn't able to connect um with me, right, or with the baby. And he experienced postpartum depression. Wow. So now we have two parents who are really, really struggling. So for and there's a part of the man that when the baby arrives, like he's no longer the focus of you. Oh my right? gosh. And is that a thing? And we totally. And like we and, and Dave and I have done a lot of work around this in our own couple's work. Like we, there had been so Dave, I I said earlier, like Dave really grew up really fast and um and, and his story is his. I don't want to like, you know, speak for him. But but yeah. between the two of us, 
he I had been kind of like the first person where he felt like he could be vulnerable with and and then but, but it, he became pretty kind of reliant on me to like be that source of like connection and intimacy and and not just intimacy from like a sex perspective like intimacy just from like a human to human perspective yeah, of yeah. like I can show up as my full self and like you see all of me and you still love me and you're not like going anywhere right like and I really didn't go anywhere from like 16 so like there was this this deep sense of like you're my person and now I feel so safe right um and you know then a child came and my with my anxiety, my whole focus shifted, and like to a very extreme degree, where it where he was getting like none of my right. affection yeah. and attention, and that made him feel like really hopeless and really shitty. And it it, it and so and then and then as he was withdrawing with his depression, I felt even more so like this is all on me, mm. right? And the resentment, and it just it was this really vicious cycle. So at the time, I had graduated from with my master's, and um, you know I took some time off with the baby, and then I ended up, um, you know, we ended up eventually going to therapy, individual for both of us, couples for the two of us, and that was life changing, right? Yeah. Like, um, and I was able to, it really was becoming a parent that brought forth like. All of these parts of me that I had been protected, protecting myself and armored up against for so long. And it's because these little humans are like these little like they come out and they're like these like little representations of like the parts of us that we may have learned to shut down. Right. Like they don't they don't come into the world and like try to protect, please others and like right. not have like they just come out wailing with yeah. all of their needs and all of their desires and like. And like those were all the parts of me that I had learned to like basically armor up against, right? right? And like not show anybody. And and, but then I I realized that I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to respond to it differently than what I had experienced. I had no idea how to apologize. Like, because I I was really like apologizing was really not comfortable for me. Like saying sorry meant that like I wasn't perfect. It meant that I Mm. had made mistakes. And like, how do I how do I do this differently? So I wanted to break the cycle. There were a lot of cycles going on, right? Like generational cycles, cycles between my husband and I, and I wanted to shift things. And I was a family, marriage and family therapist at the time, you know, can't be the therapist for my own relationship, which is appropriate. I should not be like, I need support too. That was, that was part of the work. I think, you know, part of that people pleasing part of me, part of all of these parts of me allow me to connect with people, be really attuned to other people's needs, what they're feeling, right? Like it all contributed to helping me be a really great therapist. Mm. And and I needed to have a space too where I could work on my stuff. Also get the experience of what it's like to be on the other side of the chair, you know, the other side of the couch. And 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 have that support for myself. I get to also be somebody who can fall apart sometimes. Yeah. You know, and and that was a really important step in my own work. Um so we went to therapy. Um we got better. I, I did EMDR therapy to process my b- traumatic birth. What's that? So it's an evidence-based approach to treating trauma mm. that um, you know how when you break a bone, the doctor basically says, I'm gonna make it so that you can't move the arm and your body's going to literally know how to fix this. Our brain 
is always leaning towards and wanting to heal. But, you know, life keeps happening. We keep experiencing, you know, big T traumas or little paper cut traumas and the brain gets overwhelmed with like how to process all of these experiences. So EMDR basically helps activate the body's natural mechanism towards healing in the brain to it's really about storage, like how yeah. the brain stores memories. Um, so it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's not it's not hypnosis. The eye movement piece sounds like that. It's not hypnosis. It's a evidence based approach to treating trauma. They first discovered it um, in treating um, veterans mm. and PTSD from uh, war trauma, and now they they use it for all sorts of wow. presenting issues. Um, but I did that um, for processing my birth trauma, and it was. Like it's such a potent approach. Like what 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 you could process in like maybe three years of talk therapy, you could um, work through in like three months of EMDR. Wow. So it's like super effective. Um, and I did that. I ended up like getting trained in that as well because I was like, this I got to have this tool in yeah. my tool belt for my clients. And then I went back to get my PhD, um, and did my um, dissertation and all my research on postpartum depression in dads and the impact that it uh, that the family system can have on um, postpartum when it comes to parents, both parents who are struggling. Um, and, you know, just, yeah, made a lot of meaning about around wow. the experience and being able to support other parents. And now, um, you know, uh, so let me share a little bit more around the like work stuff. So I got my PhD um, in, in that, so during that program, I gave birth to Everson while I mm. was getting my PhD, I was commuting up to Loma Linda. So I was driving two and a half hours there, two and a half hours back pregnant and then, and then postpartum. And, but you know, I had so much more support at the time. It was still cuckoo time. Like yeah. Dave and I still look back and we're like, how did we do that? You know? Um, but we had a lot of support. Um, both our families are in San Diego and, um, we, we made that happen. Um, and I, and, and ever I, since number two, right? He's number two. We did have a pregnancy loss between Riley, our oldest and Everson. Um, and that was really hard too. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but what's, what I did differently with this program, going back to school to get my PhD, I wrote myself a letter actually before I started. And the letter, letter to myself was like permission to, permission to pause, permission to stop, permission to do it slowly, permission to like, at the end of the day, the values that I wanted to prioritize were presence. And and that meant presence with my kids. And that also meant presence with myself, right? With like this, this other thing that was important to me that I could show them that they could, you know, that they could be parents that have interests outside of parenting, you know, and that presence. And in order for me to ha have presence, things had to move slow, you know, and yeah. I had to, I had to, I, I didn't always read all the things I was supposed to read for the homework, right? Like I wasn't always fully prepared, but then I'd remind myself in those moments where I was like, wait, this isn't comfortable. I'm not used to not being like so overly prepared for everything. I was like, but remember yesterday you made a choice and you, you consciously chose with your value in mind, a presence with Riley, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then ever since when he was born. And then, and then there'd be times when I was at school and I, you know, I'd get videos of like, you know, them saying a word or, and I was like, I, then I'd start to feel guilt around that. And, you know, guilt is a funny human emotion. It's, we're all wired for it. Right. I love guilt. Guilt pops up and is like, oh, oh, you're doing something out of alignment with your values. But 
guilt doesn't always get it right. Guilt's just reminding me that I value like presence with them. And then I get to reclaim the driver's seat and remind guilt. Yeah, thank you. I know. And and also the more that I am able to be present with myself and these other things mm-hmm. that are important to me outside of motherhood, the more that then when I am with them, like I can be present with them because this part of me is important too. So I'm actually going to like say thank you guilt, <laughs> but um, I am a present mom. I, I'm going to be there t- tomorrow. I've got a full day with them, you know, and and I know that I can make choices to allow me to be present with them too. But right now I want to be here, all here right now with myself and this other goal that I have, right? This other thing that's important to me right. too. So just, there was just this huge shift in how I related to schoolwork, to performance, to goals, to, it was so much more um, internally driven, value driven. It was slower paced. It was, yeah, it was just such a different experience. Um, and what sparked the switch of that? Like, was it therapy? It was, was it-, it was therapy. And, yeah. and it was wanting to, change things for my kids you know it was like wanting to do things wanting to break the cycle and that legacy for them too um and then so the second birth with with everson yeah was there less planning was there less oh this give it to me it what was, was the, the what was the difference the birth plan coming back to values the birth plan was was basically a list of values that i ident- identified that i wanted to go into the birth holding in mind and in moments where there were decisions that had to be made I could come back to those values. And the values that I really chose to prioritize were connection, presence, and safety. Mm. And like with each decision, because I I did try to have a vaginal birth after the cesarean. Um, They call it a VBAC. And there were points in time where the doctor came in and and at one point he said like, you know, it's not really progressing and, um, you know, we could keep going or we could. And I was like, you know what? I want to be awake this time. (laughs) Like I want to be I want I want to have energy this time when when the baby comes like I want to be able to see him and um and so let's do the C-section, right? So then we had another C-section. It was such a reparative experience. My eyes were wide open. He lowered the curtain when he was pulling him out yeah. so I could see him. We did what they call like pseudo skin to skin where they brought him up to my cheek. He was like he was like licking my cheek, you know, mm. like he's just like rooting and and just like I will never forget that moment. Um, and you know what, what that, what also happened in all of this is, you know, my daughter, as she's gotten older, my oldest, where I had that experience where I turned away from her, right? Like I've been able to share with her, like the story, the birth Mm. story and like what I was going through and what I was fighting within myself and, and just, you know, and now gosh, like that she's 12 now and she like almost every night still wants to come in and snuggle with me and talk to me. And it's like, I, had the rest of my life to not to not turn away from her to turn towards her you know and, and it must have been uh kind of therapeutic and healing to uh, to admit this to a child that actually had no idea and never would 100% 100% and even now you know like when i was parenting her when she was a toddler i watched back at videos and i i did a lot of like i did a lot of like trying to micromanage her behavior especially when we were around other people like wanting her to like behave in a way that's like not characteristic of a toddler right like they're just like it's developmentally appropriate for a toddler to push on boundaries to like let their feelings out and i did kind of micromanage it a lot and now even i'll come to her when like we have a three-year-old now our youngest june and when i'm parenting june in a way that still holds boundaries but like validates her feelings like lets her be a human being with feelings and then helps her like figure out what the name for that feeling is right like she's losing it and i'm like 
you're so angry right now. You're angry. You really wanted that cookie. Oh, that's so hard. I know. I know. Like, I love cookies too. We're still not going to have the cookie right now. You know, but I'm here. Do you want to hug? Like just to be present and validate. And it's like to <sighs> name the feelings good. and like, right? Like you still, like I still can hold boundaries because that's my job is to keep you safe. And, and I can't take away the hard, but I can take away the feelings of being alone in the hard, mm. you know? And like, I can help give you language for the feelings you're having. And, but then, so then afterwards I'll turn to my oldest Riley and I'll say, you know what? You might not remember these moments because they're probably before you have like some tangible memories. Yeah. But your body might remember, right? Because my daughter, my oldest, she has got a, she's got a people pleasing perfectionist streak, right? And like, and I'll tell her like, and this is my reparative work, right? Like, in when you were little, I didn't do it like this, you know, like, and and we watch videos, and I share with her, I wish I would have done this a little bit differently, you know, and and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like just think. I want every listener to think right now, like, how, what would it feel like if your parent? Or gosh, even like a teacher or a coach or somebody in your life who, you know, like you have some memories with, right? Where like they seemed really disappointed in you or it seemed like they turned away from you whenever you like, you know, were feeling at your worst, right? When yeah. like you probably needed somebody at the most in that moment. And what if they came back and they were like, you know what? I've been thinking and I wish I could have done things differently then. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know, and I've been... I've been thinking like just how good that would feel, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I, I, I so I, many people have a lifelong resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Pent up that they never forgive. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it, it, huge. Got to keep going. It's huge. Yeah. Great. And so, um, yeah. And, and so, you know, and with, with between like Dave and I, you know, um, it was like, it was really hard to say sorry with him. You know, I think that like we had met at a time when like that I, I was, you know, and, and so because we met when we were so young, we kind of brought some of that old stuff into the marriage and it was hard, hard, like things to break, you know, yeah. hard themes to break between our marriage. But we've gotten a whole lot better um, at being able to say sorry to each other and just being able to say like one of my favorite lines with couples, right? And just it feels so good to receive it. Um, and really hard to offer, but like such a softening that can like support couples and like putting down their armor with each other is, you know, I'll come, I'll, I'll come to him and I'm like, you know, you know what I think I do sometimes, you know, and just like own it. Right. Like I think sometimes when I'm feeling stressed, like I, I, I get that controlling part of me like comes in and I just got to control everything. And there's like not a lot of space for you in that, you know, um, and then, yeah, and then for him to be able – and then that's like a, a really meaningful risk. It's, I think initially in my life that would have felt like such a huge risk yeah. because what if I soften and put the armor down and then it's used against me or it's attacked or I – or you see that I'm a mess inside and you don't love me anymore and like you turn away from me, right? And then there was so much fear. But now it's like, no, this is a meaningful risk. Not everybody earns the right to see and have access to my vulnerability, mm -hmm. right? Some spaces and some places, some people haven't earned that right. That, so I might have more boundaries. But instead of it being like armor now that like I just carry throughout every area of my life, it's like, no, I can have boundaries. But there's also people in my life where I can take the armor down and like show my vulnerability yeah. and be real. And oh my gosh, how healing it is to be my full self, like with friends, with family, with my husband, with my children, to be a real person who makes mistakes, who 
is a mess sometimes, who has feelings, who has needs. And to still be loved, to, to have, to see that like, and with my parents, right? Like I'm, as I've been doing all this work, I've been so open with them and they have been so open to receiving it, right? And like, you know, I, um, on my podcast, I share some of these stories and, and there's, there's been a few times where I've, I've actually asked my parents to listen before I share it, right? Because it's, it's talking about some of this stuff yeah, yeah. and they listen and they come back and they still love me and they, they, they say, they say that they're sorry. And then they're like, and they say how, how meaningful it's been to them to see me break these cycles. Right. And, um, and I know not everybody gets that opportunity, right. Right. With their, with their parents. Um, and that's oftentimes a lot of what can come up in, in my work with my clients. Right. And, and, and there's, 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 you know, there's grief that comes around that. And it's still, though, such a worthwhile process, right? Because I think what anxiety is scared of most, right? If that's if that's what was underneath all the people pleasing, the perfectionism, and the like, striving and performance, what anxiety? When you really go to the core of what anxiety is most afraid of, it's being alone and it's dying. Hmm. And if we and but but we're mortal, we're yeah. going to die, right? Right. And if I can, if I can instead connect with ideas around like legacy and being a cycle breaker and breaking these cycles, then you know what? I, um, that part of me that's so scared of like death and being alone or being alone, it all of a sudden is like, wow, there is something here that I could do that has this huge impact that lives beyond me. Yeah. My children's children, children, right? Like the cycle, the, the breaking of the cycle now, the legacy that that continues, it lives beyond me here now. And when my anxiety has to expose itself to the fact that like I am going to die <laughs> and like some people I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea or like, right, like, but I can look at the things that I value most, live a life that's in alignment with those things, not perfectly. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, with those in mind and break a cycle, break cycles to create change um, and and have that be part of my legacy, then it's so much easier for me to tell anxiety to get in the backseat and that it can rest and, and you, that I've got this. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love it because this this topic right here, anxiety alone is never been more prevalent in our society yeah. than right now. Yeah. Like ever, like not even yeah. close. And especially um, with children. Oh my gosh. Have you ever seen this in your career? Have yeah. you ever seen this many children being diagnosed with depression, yeah. anxiety, Yeah. right? Well, I think that there's, What's going two, on here? there's two things there. I think that one is that it, it's actually always been something that kids experience because they're human beings, right? And like we just now have more um, more awareness to assess and to treat and to name and to talk about it, right? And this generation, right? Um, I mean, I think about the digital age, right? Yeah. And just social media. And I think about um, covid you know, and I think about just, um, and, and then just the pressure that kids feel. Um, but the, the social media piece, the digital piece is such a huge component of it because it impacts everything from like how present they are with themselves in their lives around them. There's bullying, there's like, it, it impacts communication because yeah. communication doesn't happen like directly. It's like this, like more indirect communication. It's this sort of like curated, filtered, like like highlight reel that they're being exposed to. Like, I mean, I remember for myself in early motherhood, 
I was, you know, I go hide out on the porcelain throne just to like, you know, get away and pretend yeah. like I, you know, because I needed a moment in a in a like spiral of shame, right? Because I just maybe like, you know, my my marriage was falling apart, and I, you know, had just like yelled at my toddler, or like, you know, I didn't feel connected to my baby, and I go in the bathroom, and I, what would I do? Immediately, my finger would go to Instagram, right, and yeah. I would start scrolling. And now I'm in my real space moment of shame, getting access to and all this data of like everyone else's highlight reel and all these like, you know, just curated versions of motherhood and just the the way in which it pulled me deeper into shame and kept me from feeling like mm. I could tell anyone what I was really going through and feeling, you know, for, for these moments, um, which is actually why I very – with 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 anxiety in in the passenger seat um coming with me i got on social media as a therapist because i was mm. like if that's where they're going yeah in these moments right and if what what it would have meant to me if i had been scrolling while sitting on my porcelain throne of shame of like if i was scrolling and i saw somebody else sharing a video that depicted something i was experiencing and told me that i'm not alone in those feelings and like you know, just just that feeling of not being alone. That this isn't something that this isn't because it's, there's something wrong with me. Right. This is something that it feels hard because it is hard, and that that would have been such a such a key thing to bridging me to taking a step to get support. So that's why now I'm on Instagram, like creating reels right. and sharing yeah. content. Um, to because maybe in the middle of someone's like doom scroll. They come across something like the that. scroll. And then they, maybe they feel less alone and maybe they'll take a step to get support. And yeah, I, um, it's, that was my motivation and it's been really meaningful for me. And like when we talk about legacy, it's another one of those things that feels like, mm. you know, if I could make even one little dent and shift in how we take care of parents and talk about mental health and breaking the stigma so that our kids' generation, right? Like- has maybe a different experience than um, how scary it was to get on social media in that public way. Right. Because um, at, at the time, now there's a lot of therapists on social media, but when I got on, it, not that many. Not that many. It was, and like at the time, there was still kind of the belief that as therapists, we had to be really like private and protective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then I started the podcast and started sharing stories and inviting others to share their stories, and and then that's where we are today. And then, so what is the, um, talk about the, I want to talk about the medication again, because there's mm -hmm. so many yeah. people medicated right now. Yeah. Like you just seemed to be able to get off of it. Dave was with yeah. you, but what yeah. about people that are just there? Yeah. So my, my, here's my thing with medication is that I think that, um, there are some people when you feel like you are in certain scenarios where you feel like you're underwater and it's like. I could, we could even be doing therapy. They could be in therapy and they're underwater. And it's like, I could, it's like, you know, when like you're underwater and someone's above water and they're trying to talk to you and all you hear is like, whoa, whoa, yeah. you can't even hear them. You don't even know where shore is. You try to take a breath and you're just swallowing more water. And it's like, it's, it's, there are certain situations where I think that the right medication for the right person to just get their head above water can be life changing. And, and then now that your head's above water, it's like, look at here, shores over here. I'm right here with you, right? Like, let me help you learn how to take these strokes and we're going to get you to land, you know? Um, and 
And I and think, that would be a therapy thing, you think? Like then? Yeah, I think that could be therapy. I think that that could. I think that there's a lot of really beautiful, meaningful ways that people can feel supported in getting to land. And and obviously, I'm trained as a therapist, so I know what that journey looks like, and I've I know how personally and then also professionally how meaningful it can be. And then and then yeah, I think that you know sometimes medications or other substances, right? There's there's so many ways in which we can get into a cycle of numbing right. ourselves, right? And it's not just substances, right? And not just medication. Yeah. I mean, there's other substances, right? Yep. That yep. can be that can be, you know, like mar- marijuana can be so great for for people, for some people in certain situations, right? Like and it can become a part of a cycle of like every time I feel something, I need to take a hit. <laughs> it helps me just like yeah. numb the feelings. And then there's times when like the, it can just be the thing that gives us enough like space to like, you know, process things. Like I think that there's there's not a black or white answer here yeah. to this, but I think that for each individual person to take a look at what's my relationship with the substances that I that that are a part of my life or what's my relationship with shopping mm. or sex or like all these different ways in which some people can it can be a, become a cycle for them of like numbing and it's keep it keeps them actually from healing you know it yeah. keeps them further away from connection to themselves or to those around them and so yeah i think that you know it's such a big question that i think is so nuanced yeah that i would just invite the listener to to take a look at like when i feel triggered and how do i know i'm triggered like for me i feel like in my chest i feel like a tightness i feel a pit in my stomach i feel I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling, right? Like these are all like beautiful data points that like something right now, I feel reactive, like something right now has happened where like I'm triggered. It's just like a little signal from my body saying, hey, things have happened before that like feel kind of like this and bad things have happened. So like let's be on high alert, right? So when if I feel triggered and then I feel a reactive like response to needing something in my life to like, help me not feel those things anymore. Right. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take a look at that. Just take a look. Right. Like maybe it's social media. They're also with S, like substances, sex, social media, yeah. shopping. I don't know. Like there's there's others too. But like yeses. maybe it's that's maybe it's you you find your you just you go to your phone and you're looking for like distraction or connection, but then you end up just leaving feeling even worse, right? Maybe it's a certain substance. Maybe it's you spend money, right? To like kind of feel better like that dose of like dopamine or, yeah. right and or maybe it's 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 yeah it's there's so many different ways that we keep ourselves from being able to just kind of sit and, and then a lot of it is because what we've been what we've learned is that when we feel things that are hard we've got to like we, that's that's not okay bad things will happen you know as kids that we can't feel that because then it adds to the chaos we, we get put on you know people turn away from us right like things get loud things get scary and so that's why I think if we can help our kids in being able to like name their feelings, mm. like uh, understand what their feelings mean, be able to communicate about their feelings, right? Like um, have certain people where they can let it out with and like fall apart with and like be held in that because we can't change the hard, right? but we can yeah. change the feeling alone in the hard and the like knowing what to do with those feelings to be able to regulate ourselves to feel like we can then make choices rooted in our values instead of being reactive i think that's how we i think that's how we change like i think as parents yeah. they 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 are such huge agents of change in their homes for the next generation and generations that follow 
Um, and and how yeah. how important is it, like, for the parents to be aligned, mm-hmm. like, and to be on the mm-hmm. same page? Mm-hmm. Because it, and I've always said this, like, if there's an, a vibration is off or the dynamic is off between the parents, yeah. it's going to translate into the child. Yeah. I think it's so important to prioritize the partnership, right? Like, because if that, if that's not, if that's falling apart, like that's, it's going to be really hard for yeah. the whole family system, right? Um, it's going to have its impact. You know, Dave, like Dave and I, we parent differently. We have different like backgrounds and, and like I've, you know, because I'm like so involved in this world and he's not, right? right. Like I'm listening to the parenting podcast. I'm like, you know, the, the books are being marketed to me, right? Yeah. The parenting books. And so when I have found things that have been really helpful in like connecting with the kids and I'll share with him and not, and, and get this, in the beginning it was like, you need to do this. What are you doing? You need to yeah. do this differently. Like this is wrong, right? Um, and now I come from it more from a place of like, Hey, I've been doing this thing with Ever, right? And it's it's really seemed to help his confidence. And um, there's this podcast or this course or this thing that I read that like kind of helped give the framework for this. Um, I've it's been really helpful. I've been feeling really good about it, and you know, then share it with him because I think like the world isn't going to be perfect. That's the whole point of this conversation, right? And so right. it's it, him and I don't need to be on the same page all the time. We don't need to be perfect parents, right? Like it's going to be. I think that it that helps the kids experience that like people don't people do lose it sometimes. Like, yeah. People get grumpy. Like people do snap back. Like p- things are unfair, you know, and um or things are confusing sometimes. And so just going in into it with like I want us to be on the same we're on the same team. Same right? team. Right? Like yeah. shoulder to shoulder on the same team. If there's a problem, like let's look at it shoulder to shoulder together instead of like me against you. And um and the softening, the like vulnerability really supports us being able to like get to that place, you know, especially when we get off kilter, which happens, you know, all the time. And yeah, it's, um, so yeah, I think that it's like we're, when, when, when I find things that are helpful that I want to get him on the same page with me around so that yeah. he can be on the same, have the same playbook, you know, um, I, I try to come at it instead of, yeah, it, it was not working before when I was right. like, yeah. You need to you do know, this. You need, you need to, do to do this, you know, and like it, because what, what it did was it reactivated that like dynamic of controlling, and then him just feeling like more incomp- like incompetent and disconnected, yeah. and like I don't see the best in him. Yeah, you know? repel right away yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, we're not perfect, um, but we keep working on it, and that's for um, sure. Now, question: um, What's the most common thing we talked about it earlier? You mentioned burnout. Like, what's mm-hmm. what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. Go further into the um, like what you're doing as when you're a therapist, the most common mm-hmm. theme of mm-hmm. thing that you're having to tackle yeah, within marriages, parenting. Yeah. Well, I think that what's really unique about our generation now is now we have so many resources. We have so much information at our fingertips, right? Through social media now, like, you know, everything from like what we need to be doing to support our kids' speech development to like how we need to talk to our kids about food so they don't have like a lifelong negative relationship with like their bodies and food and like, you know, mental health. And we're like, there's just, there's so much information at our fingertips. Like one, that's supposed to be supportive and helpful and resourceful, but we also just have so much more access to pain that's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's just, there's just so much overload, I think, uh, information overload, um, like sensory overload that just I think is comes with parenting that I think then parents also feel this pressure, which I can obviously relate to, to like do it all, 
you know, and, um, and I think that, you know, now, you know, women are, you know, women are working and men are being more encouraged to like be, you know, involved dads and involved parents. And, and all of this is like, all of this is, is good, but I think there also hasn't necessarily been like support and like, how do we, how do we do this in a way that also allows us to still be human and like not get it all right all the time and not do all the things. I think that it just, the, 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 what we have now with the overload of information and resources, I think does kind of help make us kind of spin out into feeling like we need to be doing all the things always and never stop, never rest, like needs to be perfect. Otherwise the cost is huge for our kids. And yeah. So I just think, um, burnout is real. And I think just everything that I spoke to today about, you know, my experience has, has, has supported me in being able to kind of see burnout and like yeah. name it and, and help people kind of get back to their humanity, which is like, we can't do it all. That was actually never the goal to begin with. Right. And I think there's like this fluctuation between I'm not enough, um, or I am too much that I think people, um, feel often actually as kids, right? Like I'm not enough for X, Y, or Z reason to like belong, to like, to not disappoint you, to like, you know, and, or, or like when I do, when, when I feel big things that I'm too much, right? I think there's like this fluctuation between like not enoughness or being too much. And I think that our striving to try to like be enough, be enough, but then not be too much, I think yeah. is just like an impossible mm. feat. And so I work with a lot of mothers and I see that that's a lot of what they're um, struggling with is those things and being able to support them and understand again context leads to compassion so contextualize like where those beliefs come from and contextualize the experience of the modern day parent that tends to support them in building more compassion towards these parts of themselves and as we begin to be able to do that it's it's a lot easier to begin to um rework some of these things, rewire some of these things within ourselves so that, you know, we can slow down sometimes yeah, right. so that we can take breaks, we can rest, we can ask for help. Um, and I think that, you know, modeling that is going to be supportive for our kids too. And then how, how important is it to be, because this is the hardest thing in our, right now, our society is being present mm-hmm. with those that you're, you're, you're actually with. Mm-hmm rather than being here. Oh my gosh, yeah. The addiction is real. And and just so the, the listener real. Did, didn't see what you yeah, I was did, holding a cell phone. You were holding a cell phone, yeah. Um and so yeah, it's um it's Do do you, do you counsel that? Like do you what <laughs> yeah. do you what do you say? <laughs> yeah. Put it just put it down? Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of coming back to what I was sharing earlier about like the triggers, right? So yeah. it's just like if we have to we have to like gain the insight into noticing the like reactive responses and like wait, what was, what was just happening? Right. And then like, what led me to want to do that? Right. And it's like this, this constant need to like check off. And I really actually think that a lot of times, like if I go to my phone, you know, it's like, I'm trying, I'm checking my email. I'm almost trying to like check off the to-do before it gets on the list in pursuit of presence. It's like, hmm. hold, like, you know, like there's how many moments when like, I like put my hand up to my kids and be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, yeah. Let me just like yes. finish this thing. And, and and sure, like sometimes it's like that. Yeah, I'm human. Like that's okay. Like we, so, like our kids got to know how to hold on sometimes, you know. But right. like, but for me, there were there were there's been periods where it's so just the drive to like constantly need 
to like check something, respond to something, yes. finish the thing. Right. And I think that it's actually in pursuit of presence. But the things are never going to stop. No, so then we're never. never we're never actually able to say, oh, okay, I achieved it all finally. So now I can just be present with them. There's always going to be a pile of laundry or a new email or a new ping or something on the news that like our anxiety makes us, you know, really is like, I need more information because this is scary, you know, like, um, or that like, and, and, you know, just, or that hit of dopamine that the phone gives us. Right. And so we want more of that because like, you know, we're feeling stressed or we're feeling like disconnected. And, and so it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like noticing it. And, and now like I tell my kids, like I give them permission to like, if I'm in the car or like, if I'm in the car on my phone, like, permission to tell me yeah. put your phone down yes. like there is precious cargo in here right yes um and do <laughs> um it's and it's good and then you know and then at home like i do my best not perfect i just do my best and now i have a different different definition of doing my best like it's an imperfect definition you know of like i'm doing my best to work when, within my hours that i have work and have boundaries and allow the email to sit like mm -hmm. You know, um, and the text, and the text to not reply right away. Yeah, but that people pleasing part of me uh, is just like wants to get right back, yeah. and that wants to perform and wants. But and I really think it's all in pursuit of presence and connection. But I agree. But it, but so it's not you know like, and I think that helps me have compassion for like those moments when I get caught caught back into that cycle. But um, but it's not. But it's actually working against me. Yeah. Right? It's not. It's not helping. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I do the same thing. I'll be like, "Hold on, just give me a second. And I'm like, "I just want to finish this thing, so yeah. then I can sit there and then I can be there." But then it's a cycle. Yeah, it's a, and you know sometimes there are those moments, but I just I think for me it's like I have to give my kid the expectation, like like hey sweetie, like I there's um I have this one more thing I need to do. It's gonna take me about five minutes. Yep. You know, like I'll maybe like I even have like a little visual timer that like the kids like to use, right? to kind of and then and then follow through right like then put put it down and be present and and that's not gonna be perfect either right like that's i mean being present with the kids is exhausting too so like sometimes it's like hey mom's gotta go and like um do something for myself you know yeah. like and that's okay too you know so um and and prioritizing that because you know if i don't take care of myself and i'm then i have my cup is empty. I have nothing That's right. left to give. So. Nothing. Left. And now, talk to me real. Let's real quick talk about kids in therapy. I'm mm -hmm. hearing about mm -hmm. this more and more. Like mm -hmm. kids at very young ages yeah. are also in therapy. What is your advice, suggestion? At what age? How do you know if it's like? Because I think a lot of them are doing because their kids are either being diagnosed with ADD or, or yeah. depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. When do you know to put your kid in therapy, or yeah. are you jumping the gun? Yeah. So at my oldest, Riley, we went to therapy when she was three, when Everson was born, because um, we didn't know at the time, but she had sensory processing disorder. So does Everson. Yep. Um, they, um, what that basically means is that when there's a lot of things happening around them, their brain doesn't know where to focus. And so where to wh what to tune out and where to focus. So they hear every, it's like a lot of data happening at once and they can get really overstimulated. Riley was three, her brother was born this changed her, rocked her world. He was crying all the time and she didn't want to be in the same room as him. And mm. that was really difficult as a parent with a toddler and a newborn that like the toddler didn't want to be in the same room as the newborn. Right. And so we went to therapy and it was a child therapist who did play therapy, but it was also family therapy. Right. Like it, so at that time it, they were just playing and like the therapist would play out scenarios with the baby and with her. And it, it helped us understand what she was feeling because she didn't necessarily have the words to communicate it, but kids do it through play. 
but they, so, so the baby was there too. Well, the baby, the baby was there, but they were doing it through play with like dolls. So it wasn't, so it yeah. wasn't about, it wasn't her and him. It was like, they were just doing it through oh, like okay, dolls. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Like little scenarios. Got and it. then she would like, the, do- the therapist would see her, like when they would make the baby cry, see that the doll she was holding would like freeze. Right. And it was like, you know, figuring out what was going on for her in those moments. And that really supported us in like later on when she was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, like uh, having that context for understanding what her lived experience is. But the therapist also spent a lot of time with us. It was not just like the child goes in there and now fix them. It's like, no, it's like the therapist spent time with us as the parents helping communicate to her that like she's not responsible for the baby's needs, right? Like that's our job. She gets to keep being a kid, right? Like she gets to take up space too with her feelings, right? Um, But also then eventually giving her tools for how to take care of her sensory needs because she does have sensory sensitivities, you yep. know? So, yep. um, yeah, so three, three years old, <laughs> our oldest was going, was in therapy. Um, she recently asked if she could go, if she could start therapy again, cause it's just so normalized to yeah. her. She's going through some stuff at school where she's having a hard time asking for help and it's kind of affecting things with like, you know, this is the first year they're getting grades. Um, right. So her and I are having a lot of cool conversations about that just from like my own experience and relationship with grades and um, and she's wanting to be able to ask for help um, but has a hard time like asking. And she asked me, she's like, mom, could I, could I go back and talk to my therapist again? And I was like, yeah, you know, and so... Um, she just asked that recently. Yeah, she wow. asked that recently. Yeah, um, and so I don't think that like it, it's not. I think that if your child, if your child is struggling, and if you're feeling like I could use some support in supporting them, then I think that it's it's a great call, you know. And you don't doesn't need there doesn't need to be an, a diagnosis. Like it could just be support and like building a skill for them of knowing that like if they're having a hard time that they can go and ask for help and not just like white knuckle through it. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's been a beautiful support for both me and the kids throughout our lives together so far. Love it now. Okay. So we're going to land the plane here in a few minutes. Um, question. So you do, do you do therapy for like, uh, so parenting, but also marriages and stuff like relationships? Yeah. So I, I work with individuals and couples. Um, it's primarily, um, parents with young children. So, and everything from like fertility to pregnancy, postpartum in those early years. Yep. Um, I work with adults um, and I have a group practice. So I have six licensed therapists that work for me and we're um, based in San Diego and LA. Um, we primarily do virtual right now because yep. um, there's one therapist that does in-person and I do some in-person EMDR um, so once, like intensives once in a while. But um, yeah, after COVID, we all went virtual and then parents, especially during that season, found it so convenient and they were like, and I asked, I was like, do you guys want to come to an office? And they're like, no. And so we're just all virtual right now. So we can, we can provide um, therapy to anyone who resides in the state of California because we're licensed yeah, right, in California. Okay. Yeah. So I have clients all over California. And then what, what, name your podcast, the name of it. Yeah. So my podcast is called Holding Space. Holding Space. Yeah. And it's, um, the conversations we have there are around mental health, parenting, yeah. And mental health so. is a real thing right now, right? Yeah. Now, oh, yeah. now you it always say, has been. But. There you go. I was going to say, <laughs> you keep saying things like it always has been or mm-hmm. the kids with anxiety, mm-hmm. but now we're just, it's more in the open. Yeah. It's more in the open for sure. You know, like it's interesting when we went and got Everson and Riley um, assessed and then diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, um, 
we were there, they were explaining it to us. And Dave, who was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, like a problem kid, right? Like teachers always had problems with him. And as they were explaining it to us, he, he, I didn't want to say it first, but he looked at me and then he was like, this was my experience. Like I've ha- lived with this my whole life. Right. And, you know, and he was like, I don't even know if it was ADHD actually. Like, and, 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 and sensory processing disorder and ADHD, they can, you know, kind of go hand in hand and dance with each other. But he was just to know what he had was experiencing to be able to have like accommodations to be able to like get support around it would have made a huge difference. But mm. we just didn't know anything about that right. when we were kids, you know, so. All right, so let's land this plane. Here's what I want you yeah. to do. Okay. Um, let's talk about, because your wheelhouse is parents with children, mm-hmm. right? So parents with children that are listening right now, um, we're not just going to tell them to go to therapy, but, <laughs> but we are, but I want you to give them a, like a couple minutes of therapy on the, what's the number one thing that you, like piece of simple advice mm-hmm. that you can give to a family that let's say maybe things aren't going well, they're the dynamic is off. They're, mm-hmm. they're butting heads. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, taking what I was sharing earlier about just kind of like just starting to notice, right. When like start to notice some of your triggers might be, and I gave some of the examples of like in your body or the thoughts you're having, right. Or just like really reactive responses. Like those moments tend to be signals of like a trigger, you know, just like getting curious about what was happening around those moments um, you know, I, I've used a lot of language today around like armor yeah. and then like what's underneath and parts of you getting really curious about, you know, what might be some of my armor? We all have them, you know, yeah. what might be some of the different parts of me, right? That like, you know, from my own context or my own history that might, you know, be showing up in these, these moments that my body's signaling to me, like, you know, through these triggers. Um, and gosh, just even like, you know, through, I think through the context is the compassion. And then if we can have some compassion for these parts of ourselves and we can get built some insight around some of those things, what might it look like to sh- begin to share? This is the vulnerability piece. Mm, yeah. To begin to share that. It doesn't need to be with a therapist. But to share, you know, like to share that piece with somebody in your life who feels safe with your partner, right? So maybe the softening, right, with a gentle startup of like, you know what I think I do sometimes or I, there's this thing that I've been really struggling with and I, I want to share it with you, right? To begin to practice putting the armor down and, and opening up with some of these these things, these, this vulnerability. Because your kid is really vulnerable too. Right, <laughs> you yeah. know, like they, they carry these feelings too. And the more and more that we get a chance to name these things for ourselves, open up to people, see that actually like, what is the most courageous, strong thing we can do is actually vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Like and connecting with those around us. That the more and more we're able to do that, the easier it is to be able to support our kids to being able to do that. And the less likely the fact that like they are going to present these parts of ourselves out into the world, it's, it's not going to trigger us as much, right? And so yep. I think just um, reflecting a little bit on that for ourselves and then taking the meaningful step of like opening up and sharing that part of yourself with someone your partner, a friend, a family member. Um, I think just that exposing ourselves to that and seeing that we can survive it and gosh, maybe even feel support around it and love around it. I think it then makes it easier for us to show up for our kids in those ways. And I think that the world needs the next generation um, needs to be able to like feel their feelings and get support and ask for help and like, be curious about context. I think that the world needs that. Yes. That's one thing that we can do 
to create some big change. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. Thank you so much. Thank for you so, me. so much. I could ask a million more questions here. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. This was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing some of your very valuable time with us, Doctor. Um, once again, the podcast is Holding Space. Holding Space, yeah. Um, where she's, I saw you, uh, she's on Instagram. Uh, and your Instagram is at Dr. Cassidy. At, we're going to put all the, all your stuff on our, when we post up these videos Great. as well. So. Cassidy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. Ladies and gentlemen, real deal talk. That's a wrap. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> yeah.